1: Welcome to So Money.
0: opportunities by starting your own business is one of the most empowering things you can do for yourself. However, it can also be overwhelming at times. The secret to getting more done isn't about finding more time, but rather finding the right tools. Our friends at FreshBooks couldn't agree more. FreshBooks has created an amazingly simple invoicing tool designed for small business owners who need to focus on their work, not their paperwork. Oh, and invoicing is only the start. FreshBooks lets you know in Instantly, when your client has viewed your invoice and even imports your expenses directly from your business checking account, get ready to say goodbye to searching for receipts when it comes to tax time. If you do have questions, just contact the award-winning FreshBooks support team and get help from real live humans. No phone tree, no let me escalate that, just helpful service at the drop of a hat. To try FreshBooks for free for 30 days, just go to freshbooks.com forward slash so money and enter so money in the how did you hear about us section we Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. We've got a great guest today. He's the founder of Listen Money Matters, which is the quote-unquote ultimate personal finance resource, as they call it on their website. Andrew Fiebert is also the host of the popular podcast operating under the same name. I'm sure you've heard of Listen Money Matters if you frequent the iTunes podcast store under business and investing. If you listen to this show and you love money and personal finance, I suspect you might know Andrew Fiebert's voice and his show. You know, Andrew's passion started with money all around when he took a job at an investment bank. And you know this bank and no longer exists, Lehman Brothers. There he was a data engineer right out of college. He became fascinated with getting the most out of his hard-earned money. And his wife, Laura, suggested that, you know what, Andrew, you should start a podcast. She was on to something. And here he is hosting the show, working to educate the community that he's created on personal finance. So naturally, I had to ask Andrew about the time that he worked at Lehman Brothers, the day specifically that it collapsed. What happened? What did he see? A scary time, of course, for everybody, particularly for those working at the bank. And what happened on that infamous day? We talk about Why he broke up with his original host of Listen Money Matters, Matt Giovannisi. There are rumors, and I wanted him to clear the air. What happened? Why did you guys break up? Matt Giovannisi has been on this podcast. I didn't ask him But now that I have Andrew on the call, I wanted to know what happened. Why are they no longer together? He's never shared this story, and he does with me. We also talk about taking Listen Money Matters, which was a daily show, to three days a week and now to just one day per week. Can you imagine if so money became one day a week? I don't know if I could ever do that. I feel as though it would just be a show about nothing. I mean, one is not enough, but it's proving to be – Just enough for him and his listeners. His audience really loves it. He hasn't really noticed a fall off in listeners. So kudos to him. I want to learn how he has managed to do that. That and so much more. Here we go. Here is Andrew Fiebert. Andrew Fiebert, welcome to So Money. You have really blazed the trail for so many financial podcasts. I remember being on your show, Listen, Money Matters, this time last year, and you guys giving me some really great advice and strategy for my show. So I attribute a lot of my success to your help. And so welcome and thank you.
1: Wow. Thank you, Farnish. That's really nice of you. I mean, we just kind of got on the mic and did our thing. Um, and, And you're successful because you're awesome.
0: Oh, thank you. Well, you, you can't – it takes a village as I've learned to build anything and particularly a podcast and this mm-hmm. community – as you know, very helpful, you know, very willing to lend ideas and support, even though it can get competitive. I think that we all, especially in the finance space, my philosophy is that there just can't be enough information out there because it's just an area in our lives. It's just too important and too important to access. So thanks for the great work that you do. You've been with Listen Money Matters. You launched this baby. It's been what, three years?
1: Three years this December, yeah.
0: Congratulations. Thank you. And you went from daily to three days a week to one day a week. How has that transition been helpful to you and and has it helped or, cut? I mean, are are listeners sad because they're not getting you as often as they used to? How has it changed the dynamic?
1: So we definitely got a lot of sad emails and and tweets. And um, I mean, I guess it felt really good that people were missing it. But we, we kind of felt like we – because I have a full-time job as well as Listen Money Matters and we felt like we were constantly sprinting, not necessarily focused on where we were going. And we wanted to go deeper um, and create like richer episodes instead of just you know like maybe a little bit of gold in each one. Um, and as a result, like the podcast has done better now as one uh, a week than it did with seven.
0: So how has the format changed? How are you now going deeper? Are you just spending more time with topics and guests or have you changed the format to go right to the juggernaut, like right into the, the sweet spot of what you want to talk about?
1: You know, like we, we still like the story arc. And I think like you're you're kind of doing like the same thing where, you know, you like introduce them and, and like you slowly get deeper as you go. But uh we would – Need so much content that we would have, um, a ton of threads out to a bunch of people, people would be coming in all the time. So it wasn't necessarily like, um, a theme of a few weeks. And, uh, we were never able to really go deep in research on any specific episodes or constantly focused on just creating quantity. And so now like, um, we have questions from people and and we explore topics and kind of like the peripheral, um, like the the core of it. Uh, and I I just feel like there's a lot of stuff out there that's just grazed the surface, or these are the top 20 tips to blah, blah, blah. And I really just want to like, if there's 20 tips, I want to go deep on each one of those 20 and like spell out a strategy. Why
0: personal finance? Why was this the kind of podcast that you wanted to do. What was going on in your life that bred this desire?
1: You know, it's it's funny. So I've always been kind of a money nerd. Um, my parents were kind of money nerds, and so it, it spilled onto me. And um, I was building this online thing. I found Pat Flynn, like most people do. I was searching smart passive income, and I'm like, I want that. Uh, not that it is ever anything <laughs> close to that, uh, but. Um, I was writing my, you know, website, doing like the normal stuff. And I, I met this guy um, who was commenting a lot on my site. His name was Matt. Um, and we wound up, he had his own business, uh, you know, a, a pool website, uh, Swim University. And we would just talk for hours on, you know, online build it, business building. And I would just basically, I would just like kind of lecture him on money. I was like, dude, you're doing it wrong. You have to do it like this, blah, blah, blah. And one day we were talking on Skype, my wife walked in and she's like, you guys should record this. And so we just I still ranted and we talked and we just recorded it.
0: And what happened next?
1: Um we we launched, uh you know, you read all this stuff online and you know, everyone's like explosive launch, <laughs> millions of people came and I was rich and we launched and I don't even think the crickets were there yet. Um <laughs> And it was just kind of like a a long slog, and I think um, the thing is, it it became a passion for Matt and I, and it was like a new facet to this business. Like we we didn't really know much about podcasts when we did it, and uh, it's grown organically. We've never had found any success with ads or anything. Um, and I think like if if it's a labor of love, like other people feel that.
0: And you're re- referencing Matt Giovanissi, who is on this show as well. Uh, you guys are no longer co-hosts. What happened?
1: So um, we we are no longer co-hosts. However, we will be launching a super top secret project in January. Ooh. So um, we meet again. Give us some and- – like
0: tell us a little bit. You're okay, so close. So- <laughs> all right.
1: All right. So I'll, I'll tell you why we broke up and I'll, I'll be honest. I actually haven't talked about this publicly um and then uh, and then I'll tell you about what we're doing. So, uh, we uh were basically sprinting a million miles an hour. Um, we would get on the mic on Wednesdays and we would record seven episodes all on Wednesday, and then all the other days we would focus on writing for the blog and building the business and answering emails and so. And it was just like a lot, and uh, we got to this point where Matt. Which just was never as passionate about money as I was. I, I always saw it as like this is my calling in life. I want to do this forever. And he wanted to do other things. Um and it and it became a rift. And uh so he, he just kind of went to do other things. And I'll be honest, uh for a few months we were super not friends. Uh, but we're friends again and it was never like a personal thing. It was just kind of, it was business.
0: Good. Well, I'm glad you guys are re-collaborating and of course Matt is on to different projects. You know, he's working on his, uh, Roasty Coffee business or website and, um, he's a big, uh, member of the FinCon community. He raps too. He did a rap. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's multi-talented. So happy that you guys are back to being friends. All right. So, what's in what's in store for 2016? Listen, money matters. Why should people subscribe in the new year?
1: So, I think if for people who have been listening, and I'm sure there there are some um, in your audience, uh, we we've really been focused a lot more on like depth, meat, research, things that aren't just kind of out there. Like, there's a lot of topics, like how to budget, which is important, and we've covered it, and we could probably talk about it many more times, but. I want to maybe get some of the edge cases that that people are not talking about, like how to use a HELOC, you know, appropriately, um, basically as like leverage against a bank. So that we've been focusing on more meat in our episodes. We built a a community because um, it's one thing to, you know, listen and and read and and learn about money. But it's another like, I mean, personal finance is personal and it's very unique to you. Um, and through our time uh, building Listen my Matters, we've got a bunch of awesome experts and, you know, people who just are really driven to improve their finances. Um, and we, we basically were like, hey, why don't we just get everyone together? Because they're, talk, they're talking to me, but I'd rather them talk to themselves um, as well so they can help each other. So we're doing that. And um, I, I'm building a tool with uh, Adam Carroll to, to basically automate. Um, Heloc, uh, like mortgage acceleration. Adam so- is
0: actually going to be on the show in January, in the new year. So uh, love it that all this great synergy. Okay, everyone, run to listen. Money matters and look it up and just subscribe if you haven't already. I'm sure you have. A lot of our listeners, I think, uh, they they straddle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I agree,
0: <laughs> Andrew. What's your? Let's get to some so many questions now. What's your? What's your money mantra? Financial philosophy in life?
1: Yeah, so I I feel like it's um, two sides of one coin. So my dad um, had always taught me, he's like, always listen. Um, And and some of the best opportunities in his life came when he wasn't really looking for something, whether it was like a job or, you know, um, like a home to purchase uh, and just kind of when people reach out or there's something out there that's that could be something that you need or want, like, you know, just investigate. And um yeah. then it's the other side of the coin where I think a lot of people fall into this trap of they see these opportunities and they're they, they feel like they're compelled or they must action on these opportunities. And I feel the most important thing is really to, I think the most important thing is what you don't do and the opportunities you turn down because, and I fall into this trap many times So you do a hundred things at 1% and you never get anywhere. But if you could just do two things or, you know, one thing and really focus on it, you could do something great.
0: I hear that often. And it's, from for me i feel like sometimes i'm the person who's doing a hundred things hopefully not at 1% but i am busy and it's hard to to let go i think because at least psychologically you feel like oh but if this one thing doesn't turn out What then? What am I going to fall back on? (laughs) I'm a big fan of diversification, you know, mitigating risk through Mm. diversification. Um, So how have you found, made peace with that? Because I think everyone must struggle with that. Even if those who end up being successful with that one thing in the beginning, there's a lot of anxiety around it.
1: So absolutely. And I think when it comes to investing, you know, no one can argue against diversification. It just makes so much sense. But a lot of people, they, they have one job, right? So that one boss that, you know, is uh, giving you your paycheck, he could fire you or she could fire you and then that's it. So you kind of do, the, you know, you get married to often one person. Um, and I think that you, you have all the information you have at, at the time and you make the best decision you can at that moment. And it won't always work out. Um, and if you're able to, if you have like tenacity and you're able to, you know, not give up, and when things don't work out, truck through. I think you can make single choices uh, that will often be good, or you will make good.
0: Yeah, I hope you're only married to one person at the same at the one time. <laughs> I was like, where's he going to go with that? Um, I, I, I didn't want should you to diversify Avenger, your, your partners can- as well? Um, yeah, some do, and, and they. They have reality shows around it. Uh, okay, let's talk about little Andrew Febert. Where mm. did you grow up? What was your introduction to money? Would you say that it was a big part of your uh, kind of your your formative years as far as like it was something that your parents talked about or you were exposed to it or you had a curiosity around it? What was your introduction to money as a kid?
1: Yeah. So I, I grew up in um, Metuchen, New Jersey. So small town in central Jersey, nothing fancy. Um, and I learned money from my parents, not really, they, they didn't ever sit me down and tell me about money. Um, I mean, maybe when I got older, but it was, I, I'd be like on my way to school in the car with my mom. And there's like change in the change compartment. And she'd be like, Andrew, count it. And I would count it. And then she would check if I was right. And I remember I'd be home and, and one to two times a month, my mom and my dad would get together. They'd sit at the kitchen table and they would reconcile their checkbook. They had like a million bills and receipts. And sometimes it was, there were fights involved. And um, I mean, I think the important thing is that they always got through it. And I just learned uh, like to to kind of focus on those details because when I got older, they they were successful in saving and, and I wanted that for my own life.
0: You actually touch on a really important point that's been proven in fact that when parents have conversations around money and they may not go well, the most important thing for kids to witness is that there's resolution to the conflict, that they come mm-hmm. – at some point, it doesn't have to be right away, but that they also witness the other side of that, which is like, okay, we disagree, but here's what we're going to do about it. And whether it is a conflict over money or anything else, that's really the the perspective that kids need to have in the house growing up. So, tip for parents: you know, you're not going to agree about everything, especially when it comes to money. And it's healthy to argue. Maybe don't throw chairs and break, break you <laughs> know, dishes when you're doing it, but to you know, talk it out. But it's important to also – if you're going to expose your kids to that, to show them that you guys also came together with a plan as well. So um, that was a – it was good to hear that, Andrew. So you mentioned that earlier you didn't always have this focus with your – with what it is you actually wanted to do with your life. But when it comes Mm. to money, what would you say is a misstep as well that you made or financial failure as I – like to get out of guess, what would you say is something that characterizes a financial fail for you?
1: Yeah. So I graduated college and, um, you know, n- nothing against my parents. I-, I love them, but my, my, my mom at least really didn't think that I was going to be able to find a job. Um, it took me a few months and it was like 2007. So the market was great. Um, but I found a job It was for Lehman Brothers uh, at the time and it was like an awesome job and everyone was the smartest people I ever worked with. And they were an investment bank and I wanted to invest. And one of the things I did um, was invest in Lehman Brothers. I mean they were all really smart people. The stock was doing really good. Oh, no. And uh, (laughs) I mean, yeah, you can kind of see the end but uh, I feel like the lesson is maybe not – Um, or it wasn't as obvious for me because so one, uh, I knew the company, I knew the people and as the stock went down, I I had originally bought it maybe like 60 and it was at five. I figured if I liked it at 60, I loved it at five. So I, you know, put more in, obviously the stock went to nothing. They went bankrupt and not only did I almost lose my job, I didn't. But I lost quite a lot of my savings and I realized that I was so um, like not diversified where I had my income and my savings tied into one company.
0: Yikes. And it,
1: it was like super risky. And so for me now, like even – I mean if I worked for I, – I invest, I had invested in Apple. Um, even if I worked, I'd probably sell my stake because it's just too much mm-hmm. for me.
0: I understood too that for maybe – some of the senior people at Lehman, like it was the culture. You had to invest a lot in the company stock. It was sort of looked at down upon. If you didn't, did you feel pressure to put a lot of eggs in that Lehman Brothers basket?
1: Um, I actually didn't. I, it may have been that way on the finance side. I'm a tech nerd. I'm, I'm a data engineer. So I was not even close to, to that part of the culture. Mm. Um, and, and actually, to be honest, most of my colleagues didn't even invest like period. I was like so, a rarity.
0: So give me a little bit of a behind the scenes. You were at Lehman as it was collapsing. Mm. What, what was something memorable about that day? Cause it really kind of just came crashing in a day.
1: Yeah. So, um, for one, they were sending emails to us like daily or almost daily, uh, during like the, the, you know, race to the bottom. And they were telling us that Everything's fine. This is all dramatic. It's like oh, don't no. worry about it. And so we all, I mean we're obviously all talking about it, but you know, we're like, all right, like this is a smart company with, you know, brilliant people and they were very smart. Um, so we kind of didn't get too concerned. And then when they were bankrupt, uh, there was like one or two weeks where we all went to work. We had no idea what to do. They paid us and we, we we literally sat in the office and drank like whiskey, what? vodka, beer. I love yeah, this like
0: story. I love the story. It's like the blackout when it happened in New York. People were just like, "I'm at work, but the lights aren't on, so we'll just drink." And that's kind of metaphorically what was happening at Lehman
1: Brothers. <laughs> the lights were off. Pretty much. It was it was a really weird time. I I saw grown men cry. Like, oh no! It was crazy.
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, that – I could ask you 10 million more questions about that because it was such a historical moment and uh, symbolized so much of what was going on in the country and um, the fact that you experienced it. I guess the only silver lining for that is that you experienced it at such a young age where you had time to make up for the loss. Imagine if you were on your way out to retire and you had 80, 90 percent of your investments in Lehman and that was your only job and gosh yeah. uh,
1: RSUs are, were like restricted stock units were huge in the investment banks. I mean, still are. Yes. And most of like the, the big head honchos had at the time, like what was millions of dollars in Lehman stock. And there, there you know, there was like my daughter's wedding money or my oh kid's my college. Gosh. And yeah, so it was tough.
0: Let's talk about good times. Okay. Let's switch over. <laughs> and, um, you know, let's, uh, regroup here for a second and talk about something that you're really proud of, you know, a so many moment, a moment in your life when you felt as though all of your hard work and knowledge and strategy paid off as far as your finances were concerned.
1: So I, I wanted to come up with one, um, but, but there was like two out of, out of all the things I did that I felt really, um, were, were savvy and kind of, uh, I I learned a lot from even just in succeeding. So one I was through Lehman. I didn't get laid off. I was in Barclays and it just came to to the point where they um, weren't taking care of me like I I expected them to. And I went to look for a job, um, but my job was secure at Barclays and I looked around and I found um, iHeartRadio and they really, really liked me. And I was able to negotiate a 30% raise on my income that was already pretty high. And during the negotiations, like um, I, w- I was doing it through a recruiter and the recruiter did not want to give the number that I wanted to give. And I, I yelled at him and I was like, you're going to do this. And he did. And they-, they accepted like instantly. Wow. You schooled that recruiter. I know. I mean, cause they're used to like, oh, you only get 15% or whatever. And there, there are times where you might be under market value. And I think it's important to, to be able to recognize that and, and, you know, shoot high because what's the worst they say? No. And they, they give you 20% or something. Right.
0: Interesting. How did you come up with 30%?
1: So I, um, I'm, a, I'm a data engineer, and I'm like obsessed with data. And I went to PayScale and Glassdoor, and I talked to friends, and I talked to plenty of recruiters about, you know, looking at where someone of what I do and of that age should be earning in New York City. And I put myself right, like, like you know, right towards like the upper end of that, and I, I just went for it.
0: Good for you. Good for you. I've written about how I also negotiated like, I guess, well, I went – I almost – I doubled my salary when I jumped ship from my news organization in New York over to the street.com. And it was because I knew what the market valued me at. I would – before I left, I asked HR, what's the most I could probably earn in this position here? And I learned that I was making just a fraction of that. Mm. And I also knew I was going to a company that was richer and more – um, invested in building out their media department. So I just, you know, I took a leap of, I, I, it was, it was an educated guess and I got it for the most part. So good for you.
1: And I think the other side of that story is like, you, you got it, but like, and everyone's like, oh wow. like she was like really lucky. And, you know, I don't know, maybe it was just chance or something, but the, all the times that you didn't get it and, yeah. and, you still tried, anyways. Like, I think that's like really well. You awesome. can
0: call it what you want. I don't get insulted if people just say it was luck, even though I did put some work into it and some strategy. But if, yeah, and a lot of times I could have done all my homework and they could have still said no. But I think, like anything else that you want to get good at, you have to practice. And that was mm-hmm. kind of the first time I really put myself out there and took and and I was scared, I was, but I asked and I was ready for rejection, but I got like I pretty much got what I wanted and it made it so much easier for the next time and the next time and the next time and yesterday and tomorrow when I negotiate whether it's a salary or a price on something that I have to pay for insurance it's just it becomes fluent and I think that is you know if if nothing else that's what you walk away with mm. let's talk about habits andrew and right before we do I want to introduce our sponsor for today, our second sponsor for this podcast, it's Mile IQ. Have you heard of them?
1: Uh, I have not heard of them.
0: Well, let me tell you about Mile IQ.
1: <laughs> and we have not rehearsed this. By the I, way, I was like, "Wow, this is like Andrew really is an good. innocent
0: guest. He has not been schooled on this at all, but he's going to be patient as I share with us uh, a little bit about our fabulous sponsor, Mile IQ. It's the number one mileage tracker app. More than a million Americans trust Mile IQ to automatically log their drives." Every day. Now, I live in New York. We don't, we're not really a driving culture here, but as a journalist, I do have a car and I sometimes, for my work, have to go from location to location. And I have to be honest, I never used to track my miles because I thought, man, I'm only driving once, twice a month. They're, you know, how much money could this really be for me back in my pocket? Um, but the truth is it adds up and that's mileage that I can be deducting. And I'm not alone from appointments with clients, meetings, errands, unless you're chained to your desk all day, you're probably one of 16 million Americans who drives for work. Do you drive at all during the day for work, Andrew?
1: I I don't actually. I, I only drive when I visit family. Um but I used to be uh, like a custom web dev, and I would have to drive. Um, and I didn't know that you can write that off.
0: <laughs> you can, and and the thing about it is that like this is an area if you run your own business or you're a freelancer and you drive to get from point A to point B, you know, over the course of a year, this is a lot of money that you could be logging. And I mean, uh, they. MyLiQ actually did the math, and they found that the average My IQ user logs $547 a month in drives. What? That's over $6,000 a year in miles you could be claiming. And it's the only app mileage tracker app that detects logs and calculates your drives for you automatically and it's really easy to use keeps all of your drives securely stored in the cloud so when the irs might do an audit because sometimes it does and they look straight for those mileages to make sure that you're not fudging the numbers you've got your backup you got got
1: gps maps basically that wow exactly
0: so really clever it's, it's like uh it can't lie so and because of this, the the app has a five-star rating in both the Google Play and iTunes app stores. So stop wasting time manually tracking your miles. Get rid of the pen and paper, and stop losing money that you should be redeeming. MileIQ does all the work letting you focus on what's actually important, like your business, and also driving. <laughs> focus ten and two. You can download the MyLiq app for free and start your free trial right away. Here's how you do it. Text so money, one word, to 31996 31996. You'll get you're going to get a 40 drive free trial. That's about a week. It rough, it averages out to about a week free trial. Create an account this week, though, and you'll get twenty percent off an annual plan, and it's pretty reasonable. Standard messaging and data rates apply, so just keep that in mind. It's text so money to three one nine nine six for a forty drive free trial, and then the twenty uh, percent discount applies if you create an account this week. So good luck, and let me know how you like it okay, Andrew, mm. that's a habit that I'm going to be using in the new year is my like you using that. What's something that you do that helps you with your finances? It's recurring, habitual, conscious.
1: Um, So one thing I do all the time, uh, I mean budgeting, uh, but I think more importantly is budgeting with my wife, Laura. Um, we pool all of our money together and we've tried all different ways to kind of manage our money. And we found that um keeping each other honest and just kind of discussing all of it 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 keeps us on the same page um and and it's an excuse to demolish a bottle of wine
0: <laughs> you always have to have that adult beverage when you are discussing finances, and if you don't drink, cookies, cupcakes, um, something to just sweeten the moment. Because it, it, I mean, and this is something that you actually like doing. Like you just told me, like you're a financial nerd, and yet mm. for you, it's important to have a little bit of a a little bit of a distraction. And you actually drink during your show when you record, right? Yeah, um, I, you're drunk when- like all day, basically.
1: <laughs> Uh, I used to be drunk all day. Now, now it's only for like two hours. <laughs>
0: it helps with the creative process.
1: That's right. <laughs> um.
0: Cool. And so, how would you characterize your, uh, you and your wife, Laura, as far as your money personalities? Are who's the saver and who's the spender?
1: Um, we're actually both like super savers. The only thing is, I like we're we're Laura. Um. Pretty much, will almost never buy something, and if she does, it's like from like a thrift store. She's she's pretty sad. She's waiting like for you to
0: buy it for her. If that's what's yeah. going on,
1: true, true. Uh, I I usually or not usually like I'm I'm often pretty good, but I, I get these like times where I'm like I deserve blah blah blah, and I usually have to be talked down off the cliff from her. From <laughs> you know, <laughs> she's get like you don't plane. need this. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. Well that's good. Then you guys are, are a good fit. Were you married recently? I feel like
1: we've been married uh two years two now. Two
0: years. Okay. So you're newly Three I'm-
1: years. Three years. Oh. Wow. So- I, she's she's actually in the apartment listening. So
0: Oh hi Laura. <laughs> um she's lovely. I I've been you know, communicating with her about uh getting you on the show and my husband and I are also Three years in, so it's it's uh still kind of a honeymoon phase. But now yeah. we also have a kid, so
1: not so we're, much. We're working on ours.
0: Oh, good luck! <laughs> so many, so many revelations on this podcast with you that you've probably never <laughs> shared elsewhere. I, I appreciate it. Let me know. Um, this now we're going to do some so many fill in the blanks. We have a little bit of a lightning round that we do at the end, and this is uh, not not meant to be too difficult. Just finish it first thing that comes to mind. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred million bucks, the first thing I would do is
1: uh, invest half and make a startup with the other half. Hmm.
0: So you so when you invest it, you you think maybe something a little less risky than a because you're going to be pretty risky to, with it if you're going to put it into a business, but. With your investments, how would you
1: diversify? I think I would go like Vanguard total stock market fund with maybe like 70% and like Vanguard total bond fund with like the other 30 and just kind of like let it sit and never even think about it again.
0: Yeah. You're making me think that I have too many investments now. I probably (laughs) do. Um, All right. One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is...
1: Um, one thing, uh, just one. (laughs) So we, we don't really buy a lot of things, but one thing that we do spend money on is experiences and we love to travel. We've been to like Spain, Australia, Peru, like a bunch of cool places. And it just really makes us happy. Um, we, we get closer as a result of it. Um, so I would never give that up.
0: Where were you most recently?
1: Um, most recently we were, um, at Machu Picchu.
0: Oh, my gosh. And you're still married. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite a trip. I have not gone. I was going to – I actually had a, a couple days when I was honeymoon planning and I was like, Tim, we're going to go to Machu Picchu. He was like, "Um, that could be a risk for us because – he's like, you know you can't like use your phone. I mean you probably no. can't – you can't like – you're just
1: – No one speaks English. <laughs> I mean you have a, your tour guide. You're just kind of – Hoping, and then it's like you're so high up, you're like eleven thousand. You feet. get
0: sick, yeah.
1: It's like I, I walk up, in New York. We walk everywhere. I walk like a equivalent of like a block, and I'm like dying.
0: <laughs> and you did it. How did you? What was your version of Machu Picchu? Because there's a lot of ways you can do it. You can you can really go uh, the low budge way, and you know just huff and puff your way to the top. And then there's people that will like carry you on their backs
1: <laughs> so, for a lot okay. more money. So, so it wasn't like a high budge way, but we did get a bus to take us to the top of the mountain. Um, so, so we were there. Uh, there are people who like literally walk up it and it is a big mountain. Oh my gosh. Um, but like up there, you know, we walked around and, and did a lot of sitting because even still, it's like climbing. I mean, it's like a mountain on a mountain.
0: Oh my gosh. But was it worth it? You got to the top and it was worth it, right? You got to see this one of the wonders of the world.
1: It's re- I, I, it's almost difficult to believe there that this was made by like people. And I don't want to be like conspiracy theory, whatever, but it's just so incredible that this was built by people. Wow. It, yeah, yeah. We're, we're
0: capable of a lot of things and, you know, not Team just work. podcasting and typing on laptops. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, cool. Okay. So my biggest splurge when you really kind of just go for it and you don't, you know, it's probably like beyond and you're paying a premium but you do it anyway what is it
1: um so my biggest splurge is apple products they they have got me do you have an I, iWatch? I, I that is the one thing i don't have but i know there's a version two coming out this year so i may have to get it i don't know okay I'll, if laura lets me
0: um Cool. Yeah, I was gonna gift the iWatch to someone this year, a very nice gift, I should say. But it, it, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I was worried that it, like, the generation two would just be so much better. But yeah, it's the thought that counts.
1: Exactly. <laughs> um,
0: okay. When I was younger, the one thing I wish I'd learned about money is,
1: um, that it, it takes time. Like when I was in college, like I was making money and. I was buying like beer and and like frivolous incremental electronic increases, you know, like oh, <laughs> a slightly more powerful computer, and like, damn, if I just put a thousand dollars in an investment and just let it sit from from the beginning of college when I got a job, like, wow. yeah, I mean, I, I didn't I didn't get the concept of like waiting, yeah. you know, I just had to spend it,
0: delaying gratification, yeah. When I donate, I like to give to blank because.
1: I like to give to Wikipedia. I, I think the, oh. the most important thing is knowledge. And I feel like most of the world problems are because of like a lack of knowledge or an information imbalance. And if we could just um, provide everyone with education, I, I think we would solve so many more problems. There, there are people in Africa who are brilliant, but they just don't have access to some information. They, they could be the one that cures cancer. But wow. yeah.
0: Some of the Wikipedia info is wrong, though. I've gotten schooled and I've tried to like find people's bios, and I'm like, oh, so according to Wikipedia, and they're like, no. But that's <laughs> kind of the trade off, right? It's this, it is user, uh, or it's all through um, kind of individuals putting in in inputting information. So there's, it's, it, they try to fact check everything, but
1: that's true. But I mean, there are also um, errors in like encyclopedias and dictionaries. True.
0: And this way you can at least update it within minutes if, if something is wrong. You don't have to, um, you know, reprint an encyclopedia. True. Cool. Oh, well, I never got that on the show. And um, thanks for reminding us all how important Wikipedia is. At this time of year too, you are – we're noticing that they're fundraising. So
1: Oh, like hardcore. Yeah. yeah. I think it's like if everyone who visited gave $3, they'd be they'd have enough money for a year in like three hours or something.
0: Wow. Okay. All right, maybe I'll head over there and give him a few bucks. And last but not least, I'm Andrew Fiebert. I am so money because
1: because I I dedicate uh, if you ask my wife far too much of my free time <laughs> to to not only understanding like complicated financial things but trying to teach people. Um I feel like like just your podcast and and um the fact that it's not like just a guy thing or not just like a rich person thing that like normal Most people don't get a money education in high school, college, um, and I I really want everyone to be able to make good decisions.
0: Much to your wife's chagrin. But (laughs) we thank you for it, Andrew. Thank you so much. Listen, Money Matters, everybody. They are the trailblazers in the space. And if you want really, really genuinely great, well-researched, Well-delivered financial advice and analysis. Check out Andrew. Uh, The show airs. What's the air date every week?
1: Uh, Every Monday.
0: Every Monday. So you can start your week on the best foot ever. Andrew, thank you so much. And happy holidays and New Year to you.
1: Thanks, Farnoosh. Happy holidays and and New Year to you too.
0: That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Andrew, his website is listenmoneymatters.com. Dot com. And you can also follow him on Twitter at Andrew F-I-E-B, Feeb. The transcript, comments, and audio for this clip available at somoneypodcast.com. While you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your question for the Friday episodes. Hope you're all looking forward to the new year. We have a lot in store. This show is getting bigger, stronger, better by the day thanks to your loyalty, your listenership, and your feedback. And listen, if you're not on the email chain, if you're not subscribing to So Podcast, Podcasts, Podcast.com and you're not getting on the emails, consider it because I share a lot of behind the scenes. I get to interact very closely through that email list. I ask for your input. So if you want to make changes to this show, give feedback, that's the best way to get in touch with me is subscribe to SoMoneyPodcast.com. And for subscribing, I'd like to give you a free gift, which is my free ebook, So Money Secrets, The Habits of Very Successful People Who've Been on This Show, How They Make Their Money, not just great but phenomenal. Thanks so much for tuning in everyone. Hope your day is so much